The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes wrongly assume that the number one ranked team in the country at home as a 19.5 point favorite will beat a lowly intra-conference foe in the midst of a big time NFL Sunday divisional championship round. I'm of course, Matt Norlander. Gary Parrish will join me very shortly here on the podcast. Here's what happened. I'm going to talk Temple beating Houston. Humongous upset. I'll talk about that in just one second. But <laughs> we wrapped up the pod. We went early. There was not a lot of notable stuff happening in college basketball into the late afternoon on Sunday. We thought Houston would take care of business. Huge Bengals-Bills game on CBS, right? Then you've got the NFC side with the Cowboys and Niners. And we know there are so many of you that love college basketball, but also watch the NFL game. So we didn't want to uh, divide your attention to the healthy audience that does join us live on YouTube. So we got that done. Lo and behold, the universe, the basketball gods say, no, you don't. Don't even think about it. This is actually a funny running trope now. It's not just Parrish. I'm owning this as well. We have, we are, we are, in the, we are developing an unfortunate habit of making predictions about things or assumptions about things. And then they come back and just hit us right in the face. And thinking that Houston was going to take care of business as expected against Temple was one of those things. I'm pretty sure, by the way, Nada, that somewhere on this episode, which again, the rest of this episode after I'm done talking and GP and I join as normal, I'm pretty sure at some point in the episode, I say something along the lines of, and Houston won. Well, that didn't happen. Do not take that part out of the podcast. I will own it. I'm owning it there. But credit to Temple for getting... It's biggest win in ages. It's the first time since 2000, since 2000, that the Owls beat a top-ranked team. In fact, it's just their third win in program history against a number one-ranked team. And there's also this. I think this is a first. Obviously, I don't have this as 100%, but I can't imagine it's ever happened before. Temple, unranked team, on the road. On the road, playing at the number one team in the country. It does not hit a field goal for the final, I think it's officially seven minutes and 18 seconds, but let's just call it 7.15 or seven minutes. I don't think there's ever been an unranked team 
on the road, upset a number one team, and in doing so, did not make a basket from the field in the final seven plus minutes. It's, it's unbelievable. Shouts to Damian Dunn, uh, the Temple wing who came off the bench, scored a team high 16 points, a game high 16 points. Marcus Sasser at 12, Jamal Shedd at 13. And as the Bengals Bills game was, you know, uh, it wasn't a snoozer, but the Bengals cruised to a 27 10 win. This wound up being. You know, the breaking news, the big news in sports on on Sunday there for Temple, which has just been it's been toiling a bit. You know, this is a program that is in need of a jolt. It is a program that I did have in my preseason top 101 teams. It's not there yet. It entered the day 130th in Ken Palm. It's up to 113 after getting this win. But it has not made the NCAA tournament since Fran Dunphy's last season in 2019. Has not won multiple games or won a game in the tournament uh, to get to this to the second round since 2013. So a lot of pride at that program. It's a good weekend in that city. The Eagles blast the Giants on Saturday night. And then even though this game didn't happen uh, in the city of brotherly love, because again, Temple did this on the road against Houston, uh, still a nice win. And Temple is now 6-2 and two in the American Athletic Conference. And now just a half game behind Houston, which takes its first loss in league play there. And obviously still the overwhelming favorite to win, to win the AAC. I do wonder if this will have a significant impact on Houston's chances at the number one overall seed. It's a quad three loss. And had Houston been able to take care of business here, it was, it was tracking toward being the team most likely to be the number one overall seed because it only had one loss. This, this does throw some doubt into that. We'll see if it can recover and really steamroll the rest of the conference. There's no guarantee of that you take a loss like this 56, 55, and it just brings an element into doubt uh, onto the table, at least that that wasn't there prior to this. Kelvin Sampson, you know, he took responsibility afterward, telling the media, "quote The only finger that should be pointed here is at me. I'm the quote. I'm the coach." End quote. Another one. We had a bad day, but we still have a good team. All of our dreams and goals are still ahead of us. End quote. Uh, and then one more. He said, "quote We could never just make the big play. We needed the big shot." End quote. And they didn't have it there. And Houston is known for its defensive prowess. It's actually a pretty good offensive team as well. Here's where this can sometimes bite you, though. If you're a really good defensive team and a good or pretty good, but not a great offensive team, like Houston doesn't rank top 80 in the country in three-point accuracy. It doesn't rank top 80 in the country in two-point accuracy, but it is fairly efficient. It does not play a ton of possessions. So because of that, you can sometimes find yourself, you look up, there's a minute and a half to go in the game, and you're in a one-possession game, and it's 51-48. It's 56-53. It's 57-all. And if you're playing an inferior opponent and it's been able to survive with you for 57-58 minutes, then you can really get yourself into a, a bit of a pickle there. Houston had not been slumping as of late. It, it previously had won games by 20 points. It, it did have a narrow one against South Florida, but easily beat Cincinnati on the road, destroyed SMU, got a good home win against UCF. So yeah, there is a, there's a, a, a decent element of surprise with this one. And for as surprising as can, and we're going to get to Kansas TCU in just a second here, GP and I, for as surprising as that one was, this was even more surprising. In fact, to mention Kansas, according to ESPN stats and info, Kansas losing to TCU on Saturday, Houston losing on Sunday to Temple. It's the first time the AP poll goes back to the late 40s. We had never had number one and number two in the AP top 25 lose at home in back-to-back days. Those two teams, number one, number two, back-to-back losses, both at home. So we did have some history there. And uh, it was the biggest win for an underdog over a top-ranked team since trivia time. I'm asking myself, I'm actually asking you, the, the viewer, the listener, 
I think you can get it. I'm going to give you about five, 10 seconds to think about it. What do you think the last time when a number one team fell that it was a bigger spread? I, this is gettable. Now, if you really want to think, this is when you pause the podcast, or if you want to know right away, I'm going to tell you in about three seconds here. Remember that famous, famous ending in 2019 at Cameron Indoor Stadium? Stephen F. Austin was a 27.5-point dog when it beat Duke on a last-second layup at Cameron Indoor. Shouts to Nathan Bain, I believe. I'm pulling that off the top of my head, but I believe Nathan Bain was the one that did that there. And the fact that Temple did this, it shot 31% from the field. Again, no buckets in the final seven minutes. It gets the win. It's a little bit incriminating on Houston, but it also, and my last thing, and then we'll get to the rest of the pod here, it also is a commentary on, yeah, I will buy into the, there's not a great team right now. I, I will buy into that for now. I'm still maintaining that you could, like Alabama's playing better than anyone in the country. GP, rightfully so, is going to have Purdue in the top, in the, in the one spot of his top 25 and one. Now, Bama fans are going to push back on that. Bama, I think, is irrefutably playing better than anyone in the country at the moment. Purdue has a really, really strong resume. And Paris has said this plenty of times, but I'm going to defend my buddy here. When he is ranking his teams and doing it primarily off of resume and accomplishment, Purdue is as strong as anyone. The Boilermakers are now 19 and one. You'll hear us talk about them in real time as they're playing Maryland uh, later on in this episode there. Houston, by the way, in in real time here, as as we record this, I refreshed Ken Palm still then uh, from an efficiency standpoint, Houston still ranks number one at Ken Palm, even with this loss there. But yeah, a sizable, uh, a sizable upset. We'll see where we go with the Cougars from here. And uh, we will see, you know, the projections on Palm's bracket. I'd be interested to know if, uh, if this would knock them from the, from the perch of a one seed. I think there might be a case where it's a quad three loss. It's kind of damaging, but, uh, but we'll see, but the, and an, an emergency recording for the front end of the pod here. And that's all I got. The rest of the episode is a lot of fun. We really take an unexpected, uh, swerve and tangent on a non hoops topic near the end that I think you might enjoy, but there's so much to get to a lot of fun, a lot of fun evals of, uh, of the biggest results over the weekend. Here's the rest of the podcast with me and GP. Hey everyone. This is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former us men's national team player and the host of the call it what you want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the men's Sunday performance jogger. And don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viori.com slash sports. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viori.com slash sports and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, please go ahead and Smash the like button like your Brandon Davies. You know he would do it. You have consent. And if you haven't yet, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Please knock that out while you're here. Let's get into it. The most notable result from the weekend originated in Lawrence, Kansas. Final score, TCU 83, Kansas 60. Jamie Dixon's Horn Frogs went to Allen Fieldhouse and led by double digits, not even 10 minutes after tip-off. It was a double-digit lead the entire second half. TCU led by as many as 25, one by 23. It is the Horn Frogs' first ever win at Kansas. Dead leg, you can obviously take it wherever you want to take it. But first question, does tell you more about TCU or Kansas? This beatdown that we watched inside the fog. Yeah, classic. What did we learn more about which team? That's a good one, man, because you can make strong arguments for both there. I will lean TCU in this spot. Now, uh, Parrish. Shocking outcome. Come on, right? Shocking. TCU had lost three of four. It's at Kansas, had never won in the building, had never beaten a top 10 team on the road in the history of his program, the Horn Frogs. And then they go in and kick ass and win 83 to 60. Let me put it this way. Anytime anybody other than Kansas wins by 23 or more points inside Allen Fieldhouse, it is a shocking result, regardless of year, decade, anything. Agreed. The hardwood hypnotoads might have, uh, they didn't necessarily turn their season around because their season wasn't in dire straits or anything like that, but had lost three of four. And by nature of winning at Kansas, would easily register as having a top 10 win, if not a top five win of value now overall. There was a little bit of, there was an aberrational aspect to this game in that TCU <laughs> walked, walked right into the fog and a team that was shooting 28% from three point range winds up having its best its best performance from behind the arc the entire season, man. TCU only took 15, but made eight of them. That's good for 53.3% there. And so we'll get to Kansas, but I do want to, I do want to focus on, on those hardwood hypnotodes here because it was only TCU's fourth win in its history against Kansas. Three of those four are responsible with Jamie Dixon coaching the Horn Frogs there. And they have, they have had some highs TCU has as a program, you might recall some years back, TCU actually won in Fort Worth when Kansas was ranked first, also as a win previously over a six-ranked Kansas team. And overall, TCU is is experiencing something right now. Like, big picture, TCU has 32 wins against ranked teams in its, in its history. 32, all-time, TCU's program. More than half of that, 17 of those wins have been with Jamie Dixon on staff. So what Jamie Dixon has done at TCU has analogs to what, Scott Drew has done at Baylor. The highs haven't been as high. It hasn't happened as long. But when you go and look at notes and records at Baylor, and it's like Baylor's done A through Z ever, and 80 to 90% of the accomplishments we've ever had have happened under Scott Drew. A lot of that is now happening under Jamie Dixon, as GP mentioned. Highest rank win on the road in, in program history. In fact, they had never beaten a team ranked 14th or better on the road ever. And to do it, the way that it did it, I mean, the last time TCU had a win approaching this level in terms of margin, let alone the team, was 1988 when they beat San Jose State by 35. So, 
Yeah, it was stunning. Bill Self lost by 25 against Texas in 2021. And certainly that was that was notable because they just they rarely lose and they almost never lose by double digits in that building. But the fact that TCU went in, shot well, played well, was better on the boards than Kansas, which was also notable because TCU is a decent rebounding team. But as I mentioned on Friday's pod, like they do like to push the pace and then. Eddie Lampkin gets helped off the floor in the moment. Like you don't know what it is. In fact, there was a, there was a local beat writer who cited TCU's uh, in a tweet that was soon deleted after saying that it was a torn AC or a torn Achilles. And I was like, they know it already. Uh, That was quickly deleted. And it wasn't true. It was just a high ankle sprain. Lampkin got back in the game, went Willis Reed out there and was able to, uh, to help TCU on the boards there. So, to me, the story is more about what the Horned Frogs were able to do. Um, this team still ranks 335th in the country in three-point percentage, GP. I mean, it's, it's not even hitting 30% of its three. So that's this was a one-game kind of thing, and it's not going to suddenly turn into uh, a reliable team from deep. But it does so many other things really, really well. And the fact that Shahada Wells had one of the best games of his career, came off the bunch, had 17 points in addition to Miles and Bach combining for 26. Um, super impressive. In fact, if I'm honest, it wasn't... I was waiting for the Kansas run to happen, but they got out so early uh, that they didn't have to worry about that that juju and that that fog Allen voodoo because it just did not come into play other than maybe uh, that Lampkin scare with the injury. But he ultimately he just he toughed it out, and that dude is one of the more enjoyable players to watch in the sport. So for me, if if I had to make it about one team more than the other slightly, I would I would pick TCU. After the game, I don't know if you saw the quotes from Bill Self, but he was like, everything they did was perfect. <laughs> he was like, TCU played the perfect basketball game. And he was like, we couldn't uh, we couldn't get good shots. When we did get good shots, we missed them. We couldn't guard anybody. It's basically everything they did was perfect. Everything we did was really, really bad. Uh, you mentioned TCU was one in three <clears throat> in its previous four games. That's now two and three in its previous five with wins over Kansas State and Kansas. So it's uh, an interesting little five-game stretch for the Horned Frogs that uh, tells you just how difficult it is um, living life in the Big 12. Like a good Big 12 team can lose to a uh, bottom-tier Big 12 team or beat the best. Like that, that's, that's, that's the way it is in that league. You're going to see it throughout the rest of January, February, into early March. Horned Frogs are now 15-4 and four overall. Um, four and three in the Big Twelve, uh, five and three in Quadrant One, two and zero oh in Quadrant Two. So seven and three in the first two quadrants with a Quad Four loss to Northwestern State. Also on the resume, we've talked about that before. Very early in the season, two of the top three players weren't playing. That's the explanation for that result. If not for that, um, I think TCU would be a consensus top ten team come Monday and might crack the top ten on Monday either way. Uh, but right now, I've got TCU at 12th in the top 25 and one. They are one of six Big 12 teams that I have in the top 16 of the top 25 and one right now. Kansas State at number four, followed by number six, Texas, number eight, Kansas, number 11, Iowa State, number 12, TCU, and number 16, Baylor. As for Kansas, so this is the first time. Kansas has lost back-to-back Big 12 games with one of the losses coming at home since February 2013. So that's notable. But as I wrote Saturday night, Kansas is still 16-3 and with seven Quadrant 1 wins and zero losses outside of Quadrant 1. Only Purdue also has seven Quadrant 1 wins. Nobody has more. And Kansas is still third in BPI, or KPI rather, seventh in Sagarin. Eighth in the net, ninth at Ken Palm, 
in the top 10 of most computers. Beyond that, still got a resume that would get a top two seed in the NCAA tournament if we were doing that today. So I did drop the Jayhawks once again um, in the top 25 and one, but only down to, to number eight. You know, what happened Saturday, it was shocking and, and bad, but this is still a team that's got the best coach in college basketball and Bill Self, a likely first-team All-American and Jalen Wilson, a possible NBA draft lottery pick in Grady Dick, and a championship-level point guard in Dewan Harris. According to all the metrics, this is still one of the best teams in the country. And so, yeah, it was a bad week for the Jayhawks, first losing at Kansas State and then getting smashed at home by TCU. But this is still a good team, one I continue to believe can, can theoretically win the 2023 NCAA tournament. Quick turnaround uh, for them. Kansas is at Baylor on Monday night. So that's the 2021 national champs against the 2022 national champs. Kempom's got a projected Baylor 76, Kansas 74. And if Kansas loses, it'll be just the second three-game losing streak for the Jayhawks in a 10-year span. Trivia, no. MF in time. When God. was KU's last three-game losing streak? I'm going to – okay. Is it um, – so one of my younger brothers went out. He was driving cross-country, and he hap- the way that it all landed is he was driving through Kansas when Texas Tech was at fo- the fog. This was, I want to say, early January of 18 – and Tech won the game. So he was in the building for a rare self-home loss. So I'm going to say, I think it was 18. It was definitely early January. That is my so that is my guess. I think it was 17, 18. It might have been 18, 19. But anyway, that is, that is my guess, is that it was in that span. Am I right? Am I wrong? Am I dead wrong? You are wrong. You're, 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 you are right in the sense that there is a game that Texas Tech played at Kansas in the 2018 season in January. And Texas Tech won that game 85-73. But Kansas had won its four games prior to that. And after losing to Texas Tech, went on a five-game winning streak. So that was just one surprising loss in an otherwise nice stretch. The actual answer, I thought you might get it because you referenced this, the 2021 season earlier. Um, It was January 2021. Three straight losses at Oklahoma State, at Baylor, at Oklahoma. So they were all road losses, but that is the last three-game losing streak and the only three-game losing streak Kansas has experienced in the, in the past nine seasons. Um, that's the season, by the way, Kansas finished five games back of Baylor in the loss column of the Big 12 standings, but it's, you, it should be noted Baylor played four fewer league games that season. Uh, Baylor was 13-1 and in the Big 12 because it lost uh, four games to COVID. Kansas was 12-6. and in the league. Baylor went on to, to win the national title that season. Kansas went on to, do you remember this? Lose to USC by 34 points. I, do remember. I, was, I, was, I didn't know if you were going to mention it, but I, re, I do remember it because I, uh, I, I'm pretty sure my bracket picked USC to do that exact thing. Not, not by 34. <laughs> I, had, I had the Trojans advancing and Kansas actually ending its tournament run there. But I, yeah. Yeah. So, K, so KU fans know this. If you lose Monday night, you will be on only the third, the second three game losing streak of a 10-year span, and the last time you had a three-game losing streak, you lost by 34 points in the second round of the NCAA tournament. I'm not predicting anything like that again. I'm still high on Kansas. Got them eighth in the top 25 and one, 
But uh, there's the history for you. All right. Before I move on, a couple things. First of all, must give credit to just a legendary broadcaster. Here we go. Did you catch that? Of course. Okay, let's do that one more time. High and Eagle, the legend. Could, I could, wish could, I had better could, audio. This is yeah, I do too. I do too. I wish you had better audio too. Oh gosh, I know. I need. I need an actual. I need. I need the high quality audio. Iron Eagle, you're amazing. Thank you. I was watching that. That was the dominant volume game, and I'm watching, but I'm like. 70% paying attention <laughs> just to hear Iron Eagle and I double take it. And then I, re- I was like, did I actually hear him say that? And sure enough, well, for people who don't know, because Ian is one of the great play by play guys like in the world, regardless he's of sports, just, he, he's, he's terrific. All right. That goes without okay. saying, yes. if you watch sports, you know that what I don't know if what I don't know if people actually know is that he is also hilarious, like yes. actually hilarious, like off camera. You know, just just sitting around talking. He's like a legitimately funny guy. Like he'll make you laugh. And so that was one of those moments where he was being a great play by play guy and also funny. Very funny. All right. So by, and then last thing on this is by nature, Purdue, you're messing up our whole podcast. Slow. What are you doing here? So by nature of Kansas losing, Kansas gets bumped off of Palms one line. Hey, K-State fans, you took care of business. You beat Texas Tech. Jerry Palm says you're a one seed right now. So K-State leapfrogs. Because of the loss to the Frogs by Kansas. K-State leaps Frogs, Kansas on the one line. Houston's there. Houston won on Sunday. Bama's there. Bama didn't have any trouble with a shorthanded Missouri team. And Purdue is there. Maybe Purdue's there, win or lose. But as we record this live, shouts to everyone on YouTube. It's 50, and I'm probably about 45 seconds behind in real time because I'm streaming up here in my office. I got 56-53 Purdue with a minute 15 to go against Maryland. Full transparency, we pro- we programmed this podcast. Edie misses the putback, thinking that Purdue would not be having trouble with a Maryland team that cannot ever win at Mackey. Uh, but it is a one-possession game with 70 seconds to go. If Maryland winds up winning this, we will we will cover this and talk about it in real time on the pod as we go along here. But right now, Purdue is in K-State one seats. You realize like 98% of the people, 99% of the people who are going to listen to this are going to know everything about that game by the time they hear this podcast. You know, they, they get the uh, they get the real time experience though. If, if, I, if, I, if I if I were putting in rules for the podcast, I would say don't talk about in progress games because they'll be over by the time most people listen to this. Yeah, but it's it's more organic. It's natural that way. That's all. Anyway, Purdue is I, currently a one seed according to Jerry Palm. If it loses this game, maybe it won't be. That's what I was bringing that up for. I would That's argue Purdue. I would argue Purdue should still be a one seed even if it loses this game. You know what? Hmm. I completely agree with that all right you ready to move on let's go scary incident this weekend came inside the dean smith center during north carolina's uh, eventual 80 69 win over nc state nc state uh star Taquavion uh, smith had to be placed on a stretcher after a hard fall caused uh, by a uh, ion college basketball podcast legend leaky black i feel like on some level in some weird unit we were responsible for, for not what- we not for me. What, just me. I'll take responsibility for this. We'll get into it next. First, though, a word from our partners. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. A reminder, if you want, you can now email the show, shouts2cbs at gmail.com, shouts2cbs at gmail.com. We are loving the responses we've gotten, the emails, the correspondence, the questions. Continue sending them. You can send in a video if you'd like, 10 to 15 second video, ask a question, name, city, town, get out. We'll try and drop those in going forward on the show, on the YouTube channel. Continue to send us stuff. We love hearing from you. And thank you, as always, for subscribing. So the scariest scene of the weekend, it came inside the Dean Smith Center during North Carolina's 80-69 win over NC State. NC State star Traquavian Smith had to be placed on a stretcher after a hard fall caused by a hard foul from Leaky Black. He missed the final 945 of of the game. Uh, Leaky Black was ejected. The good news, because this does have some good news, is that the injury isn't as bad as it looked or seemed in real time. All x-rays were negative. Terquavian is now listed as day-to-day. And before you ask uh, the obvious question of, hold up, how can a dude be removed from an arena on a stretcher and then just be fine? It's a fair question. The answer to that question is that Terquavian told medical officials while he was lying there that he had neck pain. And those medical officials are required to use a backboard and stretcher to move him once they are told he has any neck pain whatsoever. It's simply precautionary protocols. So did he need a stretcher to leave the arena? Probably not. But the medical officials were required to use one. So that's what they did. Uh, they're like, what'd you, what'd you make of the entire incident? Let's start here. Dirty foul or just a hard foul in an intense game between rivals? Uh, hard foul, intense game between rivals. And, uh, you know, Leaky Black actually was, look, uh, he had the eyes of a concerned human being. Now, yes. uh, Tequavion went down, and then it took about, I don't know, like 12, 13 minutes between the foul and actually rolling him off the floor on the gurney. But you could see that his feet and legs were constantly moving. Right. So that was an immediately good sign that, uh, despite all that. And they did deem it a flagrant two. Um, I don't know if it was a flagrant two or not. They actually, uh, the broadcast, as best I could tell, and I had it on um, throughout this whole thing, I don't know if they showed more than a single replay on this. And watching it in real time was just, you know, it was, uh, you know, first of all, it was a, a very competitive game, and NC State was was flirting with making you look okay with covering. That did not wind up happening, um, by the way. But, uh, but Leakey... It was not ill intended. He actually, and then Leaky obviously took went to social media after and, and uh, sent a message of support and, and regret over the nature of the foul. They gave it a flagrant too, I think, because of of Turquavion actually 
suffering the injury, which, you know, I, I understand if flagrant two is an automatic ejection. So Leakey had to had to leave the, the premises there. But the good news is that Terquavion appears to be OK in day to day. He's oh, oh, by the way, he's their best player. He's an NBA prospect. He was one of the most talented players last season to opt not to go to the NBA and return to college. He's the biggest reason why NC State has some viable NCAA tournament hopes in what's a What's an interesting year for Kevin Keats and that staff. They got, you know, it's something of a prove it season overall. So I'm glad that he's okay. We'll see how soon he can return. And um, that was one thing among many notable things, but that was obviously the most urgent, concerning, and newsworthy was the was the injury. But Sunday morning brought good news on Turquavian's behalf. Yeah, like when I was watching, it's obviously scary because you you realize he's not getting up and they're going to move him out on a stretcher. But I, like what I what I feel like we know now is he wasn't getting up because they said don't move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it, because as I was, why I, you know, it's like his legs are moving, his arms are moving. Great sign. And then you go back and watch the fall. It's a hard fall, mm-hmm. but I didn't see how he'd have a potential neck injury with that fall. Like I watched it over and over again, and I was like, like if you told me his ass bone was cracked, that would make sense. And yes, that is a technical term, ass bone. Yeah, you are. But a doctor. I, I am a doctor. And I've studied ass bones. If you would have told me his ass bone, if you'd have told me his ass bone was correct, that would make sense. But I didn't understand neck injury. But again, what we found out is once he says I he has some numbness in an arm and neck pain, and they're like, All right, don't move. Let's go. Because if you don't follow protocols then, yeah, well then you end up in a lawsuit. Nobody wants any part of that. So that that's the explanation for all that. I was fine with Leaky being ejected from the game. Uh, but I also don't think it was dirty. I think it was a guy aggressively going to the rim and a guy aggressively trying to, you know, stop the sh- the dunk attempt or layup attempt or whatever that was going to be. And then what happened happened. Um, but I didn't think it was dirty. And I, I, like you, noticed Leaky's face. He looked like somebody who was concerned, not somebody who had just you know knocked a rival out of the game, but somebody who looked concerned. You know, sometimes when you're watching a baseball game and a pitcher will hit somebody uh, like a fastball gets away from them and, yeah, yeah, them, yeah. and they get real like it, it like it, it upsets you not be, you know, you, you're OK and it wasn't intentional. But on some level, I am responsible for what just happened to this person um, and and that that can really shake you. And, and that's what I saw when I when I saw Leaky monitoring uh, the situation and. Um, he, like you said, he addressed it on social media. And what I read is that he had also um, gotten to Quavian's number so that he could reach out and, and, and make in-person contact. So that's the good news. From a basketball perspective, um, I kept it. I, I struggled with this, like what to do. Because I, 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 I hadn't seen State like all the way up at 17 in the top 25 and one. And I know the computer numbers don't match that, but they've, uh, they've got a resume that that puts them in top 25 in one range. And so I kept them in. I, I dropped them some, but I kept NC State in the top 25 and one. They're still six and five in the first two quadrants with zero additional losses. For some context, just because we talked about this earlier in the week, last week, North Carolina is still five and six in the first two quadrants, below 500. Duke is five and five. Wake is five and five. And Wake also has a loss outside of, quadrant, outside of the first two quadrants. So this remains true. NC State is still, even after Saturday's loss, uh, the only school in the state of North Carolina above 500 in the first two quadrants. Got wins over Duke, Miami, Dayton. So I still have them 20th in the, in the top 25 and one. Meantime, 
North Carolina's nine and two in its past eleven games. Wins over NC State, Ohio State, Michigan, Wake. Um, they 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 seem to be headed back in the right direction. Next three games are at Syracuse on Tuesday. Then they're off like for a while. They host Pitt on February first. Then at Duke, the first of two meetings on February fourth. So those are the next three for Hubert Davis's team. Not quite top twenty five and one good from my perspective yet, but but looking starting to look the part. No question. And how about the uh, milestone achieved by Armando Baycott? He set the program record for rebounds. He's now at 1,221 and double doubles with 61. He broke Hansborough, Tyler Hansborough, perhaps you've heard of him, his all-time rebound record at the school. And Billy Cunningham, another Tar Heel great, had the double-double record all-time at 60. So in this game, he got that done. Uh, Baycott's now eighth all-time in ACC history with rebounds. Next on the list is uh, Duke's Mike Chaminsky. He's like 21 behind. He could be the, he could pass him in the next game. Baycott is actually, he is he helped carry Carolina to a, to a title game. He is approaching, if not there. I mean, he's now the, the career leader in rebounds and double doubles, and he's uh, climbing up the points list. Top 15 all-time Tar Heel. When you really look at what he's been able to do from a production standpoint, uh, maybe not one of the 15 most talented, but just in terms of four-year great college player, he's really he's getting up there. And he, uh, he had 23 and 18 in this game. Um, he's now had 50 boards in his past three games. I mean, he's just, he's a machine when he's healthy, but it's not just him. You know, RJ Davis had 26 against NC state. It was a weird game for North Carolina in that it didn't shoot well. It had its worst shooting performance of the season. GP, they shot 37% from the field. That's the lowest, that's the worst they've been, but they set a program record for the best free throw percentage, um, with at least 30 attempts from the foul line. UNC went 36 of 39 from the line, 92.3%. They had never had a game that good from the foul line in the history of their program. So it was because, and I know NC State probably fans watching this, and I heard a little bit of chatter on this on Twitter. I get all that. You're going to watch a game. You love your team. I understand. I, I get it. And it was at the Dean Dome. But UNC went to the line 39 times and hit 36 of those shots. Davis had 26 points. Davis, when he gets 20 or more, UNC is 10-0. and 0. And RJ Davis is a better player than Caleb Love. UNC fans have known this. I've been saying this for the better part of a year. He, there is just something about the way that he plays and how he plays that I think makes... And Caleb Love is a very good player. He is. He hit a, he hit a runner on the baseline here that kind of clinch-clinched it. And he's also a very good player. I just... I, and I don't want to pit one guy absolutely against the other, but I'm doing it right now. Like if you if you told me I could have R.J. Davis or Caleb Love, I want both of them, but I would take R.J. Davis. So between Baycott's dominance down low and R.J. Davis continuing to be a guy who has this knack about him uh, in getting Carolina to another level, I think that's really really important to UNC advancing more into the season. They were able to pass NC State in the, in the league standings. And, you know, still stay within shouting distance of Clemson, the overall ACC standings. And, uh, yeah, a, a pretty historic day there on Saturday. And and UNC winds up, uh, you know, being able to scooch away with the win. Now Carolina is 36-5 and five in its last 41 games against the Wolfpack. I, uh, well, that's overwhelming. Yeah. I, uh, I didn't remember uh, or realize, rather, that R.J. Davis is now North Carolina's second-leading scorer behind Armando Baycott, ahead of Caleb Love. Um, but he is at 16.8 points per game. Uh, here's the difference. I mean, there's a lot of differences, but the main one, R.J. Davis is shooting 45% from the field. Caleb Love, 37.7. R.J. Davis is shooting 38.8% from three. Caleb Love, 26.8. He's just a more efficient guard. Like, Caleb Love's going to get more shots up, but R.J. Davis is going to have the better game more often 
than not. So he's obviously huge for them. And, um, you know, like I said, the resume is the resume. But if you told me Carolina was getting ready to, you know, continue a nice little stretch and position itself to maybe go compete for another trip to the final four after a rough start to the season, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be surprising to me. Like I said, they're, they're starting to, <clears throat> to look the part before we look ahead to the next couple of nights. I, I do want to bounce around to some other notable results from the weekend. Arizona uh, beat UCLA 58, 52. The Bruins still have a two game lead in the loss column, the PAC 12 standings, but Arizona was able to win that, that home game. Virginia won at, at Wake Forest, 76-67. Oklahoma State knocked off Iowa State. Big win for Mike Boynton, 61-59. Duke beat Miami, 68-66. Got Jeremy Roach back. UConn broke out of its funk. Blasted Butler, 86-56. Indiana beat Michigan State, 82-69. And Purdue has just gone final, dead leg. I was going to say it. I was going to say it. Go ahead. Has beaten Maryland 58-55 to remain a one-loss team. What stands out from the weekend um, from what I just said or anything else other than what we've already discussed? Let me just make sure. I, I heard most of what you said there, but at the start of that, I was just making sure Maryland didn't hit the three at the at the buzzer descents to OT. Did you say we're going to get to the trace stuff in Indiana after this, or was that in the whole group there? Uh, it's in there. Indiana beat Michigan State 82-69. Okay. Um, you can you can celebrate Trace Jackson Davis let's, if you let's, like. Let's talk Trace. Yeah, let, let's lead on that. Uh, that was the obviously the game on Sunday that led into uh, into Bills Bengals on CBS there, and Indiana got a got a, a definitive win, a good win, I think an important win, not just for the resume but for the morale of that program. A third straight win following a a three game losing streak prior to that, and leveling up at at four and four in the Big Ten standings right now. And with Purdue winning, Purdue maintains a, a two-game lead uh, in the conference ledger overall. Trace Jackson Davis, last week's court report, I had my mid-season All-American first team list, I guess you could call it. Um, Zach Eady, obviously. And then I would put Drew Timmy, number two. Timmy had like 37 over the 38. weekend. It was a 38. He had a 38, and he was awesome. Uh, Timmy, I think, is a strong Firm number two, and then you get into Jalen Wilson, Brandon Miller. I think it's those four, but I think on the heels of what Trace did on Sunday, I would put Trace five, and then right behind him, Jaime Hawkes, Keontae Johnson are right there. Marcus Sasser's in that company, but maybe just a narrow notch below. Trace Jackson Davis went for 31-15-5 on Sunday. Was a, was a beast again. His last six games. Yeah. He missed a couple of games around Christmas. Since coming back from that, 24.3 points, 13.3 boards. This is including Sunday's stat line. 4.7 assists and 3.7 blocks. 24-13, almost five assists and almost four blocks a game in his past six. For the season, he's up to about 20 a night, 10 and a half rebounds, nearly four assists and better than three blocks per night. I think right now, he would have to be your fifth first team All-American. And this is this is not a surprise. I had him as a preseason first team All-American. I expected this, but man, is it refreshing to watch him be this good because he is a he is a really 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 fun player he's about as fun of a player there is to watch who does not have any kind of threat to beat you from 12 feet and out it's not easy to be a big man that doesn't have a perimeter game or really much of a mid-range game and still be entertaining to watch but trace has that and thankfully for indiana they got like tamar bates had one of his best games on sunday of his entire career he and trey galloway we each went for 17 they combined to shoot, shoot uh, and make eight three-pointers. That was a major help. That was big. They're going to need that. Trace Jackson Davis cannot carry Indiana to the NCAA tournament by himself, although 
at points, it looks like he's damn good enough to do that. But I at least want to just shine a bit of a light on him because he is becoming one of the biggest stories traces in the month of January. Uh, thanks to getting Indiana on a three game winning streak. You know, they, they, were convincingly beat Illinois last Thursday. And prior to that, they had a no doubt about it win against Wisconsin. So it's not just three wins in a row. It's three wins by double digits against teams that are tracking to make the tournament. Bucky, the Illini, and then Sparty. Next up, you got to think, no, nothing's guaranteed, but they're, they got a roadie Wednesday against Minnesota. Indiana fans, I know exactly what you're thinking. Like, we're, we're feeling good. Don't... <laughs> Don't have me squeezing my ass bone on Wednesday night playing against Minnesota. Like, just this, just don't do this to me. I don't want to be locked in on a game with three minutes to go, and we're only up on three on the Gophers. So I get all of that, without a doubt. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing this team in person. I will be in the building on Saturday when they play Ohio State, and hopefully they can keep it going. But I at least wanted to give try. To, I think coming out of Sunday, he is officially a, a first-team All-American now. But and, and you want to put it's still Edie's. Think you know award to lose, Big Ten Player of the Year, National Player, unquestionably still easiest to lose. But Trace, I think you can fairly say he's now he's he's in the race, and he's been one of the best players of the past three weeks in college basketball. What if they have to clinch their ass bone the entire game against the Golden Gophers? Leads to an interesting question. Oh boy, has a, has a Golden Gopher ever led to you clinching your ass bone? Me personally, I'm blessed. I can say that's never been the case. I can say that's never been my case either. <laughs> we are living a large life in that regard. I will give a shout to Joey Hauser. He had a tremendous game for Michigan State. Just, you know, and then Michigan State got up early, but Indiana turned it on him. Uh, Sparty, you know, they, they're they're having a little bit of up, down, up, down. They've now lost three of four. And next up is a, is a home game against Iowa there. Um, let's talk Wildcats Bruins. Omar Balo had 16 and 8. Azulis Tabellas 14 and 10. UCLA threatened like in the final two minutes, GP, but eventually, you know, Arizona gets the gets the what the 58 52 win. This was the 50th victory of Lloyd's career. He's the fastest Pac-12 coach to ever get to 50 wins. We might have to get him at the table with Mick Cronin, let alone John Wooden there, I guess. Um, and they do it with the are we ready? Are we ready to call Tommy Lloyd the greatest coach in Arizona history? I'll do it. I can't do that to loot just yet. I can't do it to loot just yet, but we're, we're we're on a fast track for sure. I I thought I thought you were picking between Tommy Lloyd and Russ Pennell, <laughs> but it's loot. Well, you said he's, he's, that's no longer up for debate. Yeah, I think we can safely say that uh, that race is no longer in need of being run. Um, Fifty-eight points for Arizona was the fewest they'd ever scored. Uh, did you could you catch uh, Tommy? Tommy is as as. Uh, free-flowing, affable as, as, as almost any coach in the game, certainly at the high major level. Um, and uh, it was competitive going into the half. To, at the Going into the break of that game, it was, I guess it was on ABC, so Holly Rowe had the interview. And and Tommy, it, I completely understand, but he uh, he just looked, you know, like, oh, God, UCLA is just a, it's a pain in my ass bone. I don't, I don't want anything to do with this right now. But they get the win, man. I think it's actually a good sign. That's why I wanted to bring this up and wanted to ask you. Arizona wins despite not cracking 60 for the first time. Well, it was the first time they had won despite not scoring 60 points since 2015. And that was also a win over UCLA um, almost eight years ago. Good sign, for, in your opinion, UCLA not beating Arizona and so Arizona winning ugly? Would you say that you are uh, more in on Arizona, equally in on Arizona, less in on Arizona? It wins, but it, doesn't, it didn't win it the way it wanted to win it. UCLA dictated a lot of this tempo and UCLA had its own issues there. 
Tiger Campbell only had 13 points to lead the Bruins there. But I actually found myself kind of encouraged. If you had these teams played again tomorrow on a neutral court in the middle of Goldsboro, North Carolina. Uh, I don't know who I I don't know who I'd take, but I actually thought it was it was a good sign for the Wildcats. What about you? I'll, I'll put it this way? I well, obviously, when you beat UCLA, it's a good sign for the Wildcats. And I know that technically, if you see the Final Four and one picks, that I went with UCLA, but that's only because I was forced to go opposite you in Game I mean, Three. This is your rule. I'm not <laughs> forcing you to keep the rule. You can change it if you want. I just I, I need to. You're like, I got no choice. I need to because I said a million times last week, like I wouldn't pick anybody to go win at the McHale Center. So, no, I don't think UCLA is going to go win at the McHale Center. But then I got to pick UCLA because some stupid rule I made up. Yeah. And I think you made it up like you improv it on one episode. And you're just like, well, this is my life now. So you did it. Too. Why do I why do I make my life more complicated than it has to be? I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know either. To your point, I'll say this. Um. UCLA still has a two-game lead in the lost column of the Pac-12 standings over Arizona and everybody else. I I do th- have UCLA ranked higher than Arizona. I don't think there's much of a difference between these two teams. Like I, I, I mean, style of play, of course, but in terms of quality of team slash ceiling, I don't think there's much difference between these two teams. Like wherever you tell me, and I know you're a big believer in UCLA. You've got you had the Bruins ranked number one in your power rankings last week. But wherever you told me you think UCLA is capable of going, I would tell you I think Arizona is capable of going to the exact same place. On UCLA, let me ask you this, because some people pointed this out. It's it's not something I didn't know, but it is something people are noticing. You know, UCLA, I had fourth in the top 25 and one on Saturday. They lose a competitive game at Arizona. I dropped them to five. I still have them in the top five. UCLA has zero wins over top 30 Kimpom teams. Like their best win might be Kentucky. Does that bother you? Ooh, uh, it doesn't bother me only because I've seen them play enough. I, I've seen them play enough, and I and I, I am in on their starting five, and I'm in on how good defensively they are. So if you want to hold the resume against them, sure, sure. Uh, but that's also something of a function of the league UCLA is playing in. And these teams will face again. We don't get UCLA versus Arizona again until the last Saturday of the regular season. So we're going to have to wait a while. And I just brought it up. Yeah, they don't even have a top GP right now. They don't have a top 40 opponent again on the schedule until Arizona. So that's going to remain true. But that doesn't that's not dissuading me. If we had a bracket formed right now tonight, no matter where you put UCLA, what seed line, what region, I would strongly consider writing that team into a final four. Not a guarantee, but you'd have to really talk me out of not putting them elite eight minimum right now. Yeah, and the and the computer numbers are super duper strong. And I, I'm with you. The fact that UCLA doesn't have a top 30 win has more to do with UCLA's, has everything to do with UCLA's schedule. And nothing to do with the quality of UCLA. In other words, you took UCLA, put them in the Big 12. They'd have all these opportunities against top 20, te- top 30 teams, and they'd win a lot of them. They'd win most of them. I think this is one of the best teams in the country. It's just, um, you know, the Pac-12 is down. It, it's UCLA, Arizona, and then who else do you trust in the league? Arizona State? There's no one to trust. I want to say you asked me this two weeks ago. There's no one else to trust in the league other than UCLA and Arizona. Uh, the next team that I think would have the potential to do that. Uh, I, mm, I don't know. You see USC, maybe, maybe USC, maybe, maybe. I don't know, but no, there's, it's a, uh, 
no, that's 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 a grab bag. Who's to say Utah, Arizona State, Oregon just lost like Oregon's getting healthy and it just lost over the weekend. So, no, it's it's not a good year for the Pac-12. And yet it still rates better uh, in the net and a Kempom than the ACC and, and actually comfortably rates better. Thanks to uh, non-conference performance there because UCLA lost, by the way, Charleston and Florida Atlantic extended their winning streaks. Those are the you know two notable Charleston has the best record or has the most wins. Charleston right now is 21 and one with a 20 and one record against uh, D one competition. Florida Atlantic is 19 and one with a 17 and one record against D one competition. A trivia time. Okay, let's go. Mm, who has the, th- let's see if you can get this. If you get it, that means you've definitely looked in the past 14 hours. Cause I, I did not know it. Who has the third longest winning streak in the country? Not a power conference team. Not a power conversation. Massive head coach is a massive Pearl Jam fan. Coach is a massive Pearl Jam fan. Massive Pearl Jam fan. So head coach is white. That's what you mean by that. Head coach is white. (laughs) Okay. Got a white head coach. Uh, I haven't, I'm going to know this. When you say it, because you I think you might have considered him. No, because um, because I remember you doing the thing where every coach had to say his favorite band and somebody mm. said Pearl Jam. And you know so- what? Though I think when I did that, th- when I did that, a couple coaches made it. I think I'm bringing that back this year. By the way, I was going to do it the pandemic year when we didn't have a tournament, and uh, and that went out the window. But I might I might bring back the coaches' favorite bands, uh, March Madness bracket. That was a lot of fun. Um, when I did that, uh, Kristoviak at Utah who's literally friends with the guys in Pearl Jam was on it. And Wayne Tinkle, who went to the, I'm pretty sure Wayne Tinkle went to the same, no, Kristoviak went to the same high school. One of the two went to the same high school as Jeff Amen, the bass player. And so they're both like friends with the band and Oregon State made it that year. So I think that's why both the Pearl Jam was in there multiple times. Uh, the answer is Rob Senderoff's Kent State Golden I Flash. I knew that, yes. Ten in a row. That is your third longest winning streak in the country. Just keep it in mind. Uh, Golden Flashes are now up to 52. And a we did a triple handoff last week, right? Uh, Cinderella candidates that you'd consider capable of winning multiple games in the tournament. I put Kent State there. The only losses at Charleston by two, at Houston by five, and they were up on Gonzaga with two minutes to go. That's Kent State's only losses there. So they don't have a high-end win, but the really good teams they played, they all played close. Uh, keep that in mind. I also, speaking of mid-majors, I did want to at least bring up Antoine Davis. We had a story go up on him over the weekend because he is now Antoine Davis of Detroit Mercy in this bonus. It is a bonus COVID year that he has been afforded, but he is second all-time on the all-time Division One men's leading scoring list. He passed Freeman Williams, the Portland State star, who was number two ever since he got to that list in the late 70s. But uh, Detroit Mercy got a win over the weekend, 89-77 over IUPY. Davis went off for 42. It was a second straight game of 40 plus. Uh, he now sits, does Antoine Davis at 3,274 points. That is 393 away from Pete Maravich. Again, reminder, Pete Maravich went for 3667 in three years without a three point line. Okay. So he, he will forever hold the all time points average record. Um, Davis right now is averaging 27 points flat. Here's the bummer. And I detailed this in last week's court report. This is not a good team. This would be such a better story if, if Detroit Mercy was first, second, or third in the Horizon League. They're 8-12 and 12 
So they have 10 regular season games remaining, and at least they are guaranteed. Horizon puts everyone in its postseason bracket. So they're guaranteed at least 11 more games. But at his current average of 27, which he just bumped up to 27 because he got he's gone for 83 in his past two games. Um, if he played out 11 more games, his current average, he finished at 3571. That would be 96 points shy of the Maravich record. So he either needs to Detroit Mercy needs to get to the Horizon League finals and or like win the auto bid creep into the tournament or he's got to like average 30 31. Uh, to to really make this in doubt, I don't think he's going to get there. But at least it's interesting. Like he's not he's not averaging 19 a game. Like he's up to 27. He leads the nation in scoring, and he officially went to number two over the weekend. Congrats to Antoine Davis, who has thrived in obscurity. That's the other bummer. Like the teams just haven't been good. Four of his five seasons, they've been a sub 500 team. His father, Mike Davis, of course, coaches uh, coaches the Titans there. But that was another. Uh, you know, at least a news item uh, worth noting over the weekend. We had some big performances. Davis's was the biggest, and I previously mentioned Timmy. Timmy uh, had a career-high 38 points for Gonzaga, which got a scare at Pacific, but ultimately wound up winning. On the subject of obscure mid-major players in the state of Michigan, when's the last time you thought about Amani Bates? The true answer to that is about a week, uh, within the past week, because I was just curious. But... Uh, how about how about this? I have not looked at this stat line. Can I let me guess the stat line? Okay. Points. All right. I don't. I swear. I swear. I haven't looked. I'm gonna say. I know. Ba- I think Bates has had at least two games where he's gone for thirty plus. I think I will say Imani Bates at Eastern Michigan. I'm gonna guess. Let me guess the team record and the stat line because I don't know. I'll say. Uh, I'll say they've played twenty games. So I'll say Eastern Michigan is. They played, let me stop you there. They played nineteen. Okay, they played nineteen games. I'll say Eastern Michigan is. I'll say they're nine and ten. Four and fifteen. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. And then I'll say Bates is at I'll say he's getting his. I'll say Amani Bates is at 18.8 per game right now. 19.3, shooting 34% from three. 34. Okay. Well, you know, there we it's go. just a reminder. Like we we make a big deal. Like, ooh, Amani Bates. And you the they if you want to go play at the mid-major level. As a five-star, former five-star recruit, it's fine with me. I don't care. But the idea that we will or people will follow you there, just not true. You got to be awesome, and the team has to be an at-large. Like it has to be a fringe bubble team. That's why. Yeah, you just you just fall completely off the radar. Yeah, agreed. So he, yeah, nineteen points, five point six rebounds, shooting thirty-four point four percent from three. Anything else you want to touch on from the weekend before we look ahead to the next couple nights? No, I, I I got a thought on Duke, but I'll just merge that into uh, they play Monday. They do play Monday. So, yeah. So uh, uh, I was like, do they play on Monday? But, yes, I've got it right here in front of me. On Monday night, um, lighter schedule, but some good games. Kansas at Baylor. That's the biggest, obviously. Uh, a showdown between the previous two national champions. Duke at Virginia Tech. New Mexico at Nevada. And then on Tuesday night, Busy schedule. Penn State at Rutgers, Kansas State at Iowa State, DePaul at Georgetown. Wait, well, <laughs> I only bring it up because, like, I know that sounds ridiculous. DePaul, and, I'm just throwing DePaul and Georgetown right there in between Kansas State, Iowa State, and, and Ohio State, Illinois. Um, it, it is it's Georgetown's last decent chance to get a Big East win. That's the only reason I put okay. it in there. All right. Georgetown has lost 29 straight Big East games, which seems impossible. I mean, like I think Eastern Michigan could get one. If you go, if you if you gave Eastern Michigan twenty nine straight Big East games, I think they could get one in there somewhere. All right, so this is crazy. But Kim Pom does give the Hoyas a forty two percent chance to beat DePaul at home on Tuesday. 
it's their best chance to break this streak before the season ends. So you got that. Ohio State, Illinois, North Carolina at Syracuse. Say what you want to say about Duke. Uh, well, I'll work from work backwards there. Ohio State and Illinois, um, that just is an intriguing game to me. I have no idea what to expect uh, from that one. Syracuse, Q's, you win. Maybe we'll give you some love on the Wednesday show because 13 and 7, we'll see. But beat, beat UNC. Um, Kansas State, as I said, G, uh, Parish, uh, Parish, Palm has them on a one line. Parish actually maybe have them on a one line. Too. I would have them on a one line. I have Kansas State uh, fourth in okay. my top 25 and one. I would have them as a, my one seed right now would be Houston. Purdue, Bama, Alabama, and Kansas State. Yeah, I think that's the four. I think that's uh, the pretty right now. I think that's, I think those are the only four that you can really say should be the one line uh, right now. But K State's got to go to Iowa State, which blew it. It's actually an important win for Oklahoma State to just build up some sort of tournament resume. So we'll see how Iowa State responds. That's Tuesday night, K State at Iowa State. That is ESPNU. You don't need to go streaming for that one. Kentucky at Vandy, 9 Eastern SEC Network, Tuesday night. Maybe just keep an eye. Just yeah, keep an like eye. Um, Vandy. I, I don't have it right here in front of me. Vandy's won a couple of games recently. Just, just keep an eye. Uh, That's one of the things. Like Kentucky. Okay, v- Kentucky. Yeah, Van- Vanderbilt beat Arkansas, Georgia. Vanderbilt's three and three in the SEC. Look out! They're they're an, they're a wagon right now. Kentucky has won three in a row, and you know, got it done against A and M over the weekend. Credit got it done. Uh, Kentucky, but you got a you've got a uh, Indiana Minnesota situation. Don't be squeezing the clenching your ass bone. You see what I'm saying? Like that's that's what's going on Tuesday night. Kentucky fans are like, can we just go to Nashville, win this game by 15 points, and not induce any? My, sort of my, in in fairness, my my ass bone has been clenched in Nashville. Oh, I, I'm I'm sure a half dozen times minimum, at least. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Tuesday is actually pretty. Pretty decent Monday, though. Yes, Monday with uh, with Kansas Baylor. That's the biggie. Uh, I'll be on HQ on Monday uh, at some point, so keep an eye there. GP obviously will be in studio Tuesday, Wednesday for CBS Sports. No, no, no. I'm I'm home all week, baby. My bad. I I was. This is this is the one week in the season. The the one week in the season where I'm not going to New York. Um, they they sort of uh, uh, scheduled that in there just to. I think I don't want to speak for my bosses, but maybe just give. Uh, you know, give everybody a breather before you you keep going nonstop. And it's actually perfect because Monday night at FedEx Forum, Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock. Oh, you're going? Of course, I'm going. What are you talking okay. about? There we go. Well, excellent. You're gonna miss Kansas Baylor. Well, you're gonna miss. Okay. Thank you. It'll be, be fine. Okay. I'll live. It's you will. I know. It's a basketball game. <laughs> in, in the, I'll 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 read. I'll know. Hey, by Wednesday morning when we talk again, I'll you're know. Be ready. I don't know everything I need to know about it. You will be ready for it for sure. By the way, um, is it? I'm going to say, are they splitting the bill? Who goes first? In my opinion, in my opinion, Chappelle should go first. In my opinion, in my opinion, Chappelle, controversial as he might be in some circles, um, is the greatest stand-up comedian of all time. Whoa. Whoa! 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 Hold up! What? What? I think Dave Chappelle is the greatest stand-up comedian of all time. I, I can't get up. He's he is hilarious, but also brilliant, like like brilliantly smart. I don't even know <laughs> if you can put those two words together, but you get my point. Uh, I can't go. And I I have a, you know as many uh, as many do have you know extremely fond memories. Not even a stand-up, but but Chappelle show. 
greatest standup of uh, okay but, i'll say I, I just brought it to first of all uh, not a who you i think it should go Chappelle than rock but maybe they might split time not a who you going what what order for that show first things first chris rock should close the show i, I, I love i love Chappelle. love everything he's done Chappelle, uh, chris rock has at least three classic stand-ups moreover gp Richard Pryor is turning in his grave with the greatest stand-up. Chappelle's a great... No. When Chappelle does an entire bit on freebasing, then come back and holler at me. Okay. I mean, Richard Pryor, like, I'm not arguing uh, that, that Richard Pryor wasn't great. Uh, George Carlin wasn't great. Eddie Murphy, obviously yes. great. I mean, there's some amazing stand-up comedians throughout my lifetime. And like I, this sounds awful because like where were my parents? But I grew up like watching Delirious, watching Raw. You know, I watched those things when I was a kid. Was, you know, if you were my age, if you're my age, there was a time in your life you probably knew every word of Raw, every word of Delirious. So Eddie Murphy's in the conversation. Obviously, Chris Rock, uh, George Carlin is going to be there for a lot of people. Uh, for the you, a lot uh, of us, yeah, I know you're huge on Dane Cook for sure. Yeah, yeah, I don't care about that. There, there are, um, there are or other guys like there are other guys working today that I find hilarious and that, it, but Dane cook wouldn't be one of them. Um, um, but, but I, I do, I think Chappelle's the best. I think Chappelle is the smartest slash funniest person who has the ever I think, stood on a stage and uh, held a mic and, and told stories and jokes. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to gauge one comics intelligence against the other, but I think the comic that actually has induced the most collective introspection of a culture ever would be George Carlin. I think Carlin is actually the answer to that one. Um, my five favorites since we're on this topic, uh, I did bring up like greatest comics of all time. Uh, so I'm not saying these are the best. My five favorites. Um, you know who's on this list who actually like in terms of stand-up comedy and he was a comet and then he, 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 he bolted on it and didn't do it anymore. Jim Carrey is one of my five favorite stand-up comics of all time. He was unreal. There's a reason why he became an absolute massive superstar. Maybe that's a cheat because he really didn't earn most of his fame off of his stand-up. So I'll remove him. I will say in no order, I would go Carlin, Rock, Mitch Hedberg, Norm MacDonald. Oh, Norm is one of my favorites. Norm is and, like on the list of favorites. Um, Rock, Carlin, Hedberg, Norm Eddie Murphy. I mean, Eddie Murphy's an all-time. I enjoyed Murphy. He would not be on my personal top. I'm not. That's one of those things where, like, I don't enjoy. I actually enjoy Eddie Murphy stand-up, um, but he wouldn't be on my five top five personal favorites. Ah, Chappelle would be really close on that, I guess. All time, I'd have to think on that. Um, but I'm glad you brought this up. There's there's names here that I'm just not remembering. Um, Where's Sam Kinison on your list? Kinison is unquestionably in my top 10. Uh, Kinison and Hick, Bill Hicks would both easily be in my top 10. Uh, Sarah Silverman, when she was really doing it, Sarah I Silverman, it was funny as hell, man. Super, super, super funny. Um, there's a woman right now. I don't know. You're listening to a college basketball podcast. I apologize. I don't remember her name, but she's got a few Netflix specials that I've watched with my wife. She's, she's blonde. Uh, and she's really good. I think she's been like new to the scene in the past like seven, eight years. I thought I think she's actually pretty Nikki pretty Glazer. Solid. No, 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 no. Um, I'll bring it up right now. Netflix. Nikki Glazer's blonde. No, it's you're not, not thinking not. Amy Schumer, are you? No, 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 I know who's uh no, I know who Amy Schumer is. Hold on. I'm bringing it up right now. She's got like five or six specials there. Um 
Oh, man, I cannot remember. There's this is one of those classics where people. Okay, are so, so my my top five would be uh, something ahead, you, along the line. I'd have Dave Chappelle. I'd have Chris Rock. I would have Norm Macdonald. Um, I think George Carlin. And you know, who's R- Ricky Gervais is hilarious. Gervais is good. Yeah, Eliza Schlesinger. It's in the comments. That's who it is. Eliza Schlesinger. She's pretty good. Pretty good. People are in the comments. Taylor Tomlinson. I've watched a couple of her specials. She's good. I have not seen. Uh, I have not seen her. But anyway, I'm glad we got on this. Uh, <laughs> go on. Well, I, what happens is like I, I I won't watch stand up for a while, and then either like I'll catch it on Sirius XM or I'll watch a special, and then I'll just go through like a two week phase. This is like every two to three years, and I'll just like I'll 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 go back to it. I'll watch and uh, yeah, the art of stand up comedy, man. The people that can do that. that and really incredible. I mean, that, and what, what comedians will tell you, yeah. like, okay, we, we everybody can have a difference of opinion who's the best. What comedians will tell you is that nobody is as proficient as Chappelle. Like, comedians will work six months to get an, a new hour of material, maybe longer. Chappelle could do a new hour. People will tell you, you know, every, every if you told him he had to do a, a new hour every month, he could figure out a way to do that. I would. Because I loved him so much when I was younger, Seinfeld might be my fifth. But I, but I don't know. Um, and Seinfeld's almost the exact opposite. He's talked about that a lot in terms of the just work ethic and hours upon hours and honing and honing and honing and chain and every single pace syllable, everything with a joke um, is uh, is something else. But uh, yeah, Mitch Hedberg, Mitch Hedberg, Mitch Hedberg would be in my top three, man. He's just Norm. Norm, there's an Instagram account that just has Norm clips, and I follow yeah. it. And sometimes I just sit there and like just watch Norm. Cl- He's so Norm is an all time great. Definitely in my top five. Wanda Sykes is also very, very good. Maybe probably even underrated. Wanda Sykes is uh, is tremendous as well. Uh, that's been our stand up corner. Real quick. Yep, Duke, yep. Virginia Tech, seven o'clock Eastern on ESPN. Um, Duke got a win over the weekend against Miami. I just wanted to bring up Jeremy Roach returned. Uh, I didn't think he was going to play in this one, but uh, but he did. And boy, Duke's. Lucky he did, because I don't think Duke would have won the game if he wasn't playing. Uh, he came back, got 14 points, played well, had four assists, a pair of steals, and his presence on the floor unquestionably steadied that team. Kyle Filipowski was good again. Derek Lively had probably a top three game he's had at Duke. Uh, he had 10 boards and five block shots. So some, And it was, a, it was a tough battle. Like Miami could have very well had it. Isaiah Wong had his second straight bad game. He only had seven points. And, and one assist there. And Nigel Packett, four threes in the first half, but then he got cold. So tough loss on the road by two. Duke got the win. Uh, I don't know if Duke can, will be ranked or not when it comes on Monday, but it was unranked here, a rare instance where it's at home, unranked, playing a ranked opponent. That doesn't happen too, too often for that program. But Duke got the win, and now it's got to do a quick turnaround here. Go play a Virginia Tech team that has just gone uh, done a 180. At one point, it was 11-1, and one, and here we look. Seven straight losses, one and seven in the league. Almost had it on the road against Clemson. Hunter Tyson hit a three with like three seconds to go. Get Clemson the win down there in South Carolina. And now the Hokies are going to welcome in Duke and uh, certainly keep an eye on that one. That, that actually projects as a one-point win for Virginia Tech at Ken Palm. I don't know if the gambling line will put Virginia Tech as a favorite in that game or not, but having Roach back is massive for that Duke team, which is just trying to uh, you know, really continue to find itself. But it's 14-5, and five and they're, they're doing okay in year one under Shire. Uh, Duke, I do have in the top 25 and one. I had them even before the win over Miami, still in. And I moved them up to 21 after the win over Miami. I do suspect that Duke will 
likely be in the AP poll when it updates. Like if you look at the resume, it's not great. It's not normal Duke standard stuff, but there's enough there to get them on, on an AP ballot. Um, let me, I, I think we referenced it earlier, but they're three and five in quadrant one, five and five in the first two quadrants and zero losses outside of quadrant one. So this is one where uh, we've talked about it before the, the, the win column and the loss column matter to me. And it is notable that Duke has zero losses outside of quadrant one. Like that's good for your resume. So we'll see what AP voters do. Never know, but I would definitely, if I had an AP ballot, I, I would have Duke on it. No question. You ready to get out of here? Yeah, if you uh, if you listened and enjoyed the stand up stuff, if there's an under the radar comic that you think <laughs> we should know about, listen to Sarah, like tweet me. I'm always it's it's a fun thing to discover someone that you've never heard of and they might have an act that uh, that's that's pretty funny. So tweet at me, tweet at GP if there's a good one. That's that's not like a top 30, 40 name out there. That's pretty mainstream. Just uh, do I look do I look a little darker than normal? I think uh, I forgot to turn my light on. All the way. No, you're good. You're good. You're, 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 no, you're good. Yep. See, I had forgot to turn my light on all the way. Now look at I, I did not notice a difference myself. I noticed it by looking at myself. I noticed it immediately. Right. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Huck Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening. I own College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify over at Apple. You're going to need five stars, a nice review, type some words. There's more of us than there are of them. A lot of them. A lot of us in Nashville. You know what I mean. Germs do not go quietly. That's a Mitch Hedberg reference. If you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, go ahead and knock that out. We got someone saying no shout to Leaky Black. Did you miss that? We don't shout out Leaky Black at the end. We shout out. That's Leaky- actually true. Yeah. What are you? What are you doing? I got someone else in the comments saying I look darker than normal. That's because the light's not on in here. We, we, bo- we, bo- we, we both forgot to turn our lights on today. I, I really don't. I was hoping the natural light clouds are coming in heavy. What do you want from me? Yeah, there's, no, there's no shot to leak at the end. Come on. Be better. Yeah. Don't, don't confuse me. Don't, I'm already confused enough. Don't, don't confuse me further. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday. Bye-bye. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner I. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.